What a beautiful song. It's one of my favourite songs. Um, it's one of my favourite songs because about 10 years ago we had a, a conference here for ladies and uh, all the ladies wore their bridal gowns and uh, they, they, all the musicians were ladies and they all wore their wedding dresses and I was speaking and I wore somebody else's dress and I remember walking up that aisle there in, in a borrowed dress and that song was playing and it was, for, it was just like a renewing of vows to the Lord. It was like a renewing of a wedding vow to the Lord that I'll never forget. And I would love this morning that we could really experience that sense of love, his love to us, just bringing back uh, our love to him, that we would respond to the love that he has for us, that the response of our hearts would be to love him back and to come into a new place in him, a place of freedom. I loved what Marion shared there about the, the lion that thought it was a lamb and brought up as a lamb, and yet when the time came, whenever the, the, um, the, the wolf came, how the lion rose up with that roar. And I loved what she said about uh, how I believe God wants us to be all that he created us to be. He wants the lion's roar to rise up in you. And I was reminded as she was, as she was telling that story, how I think it was last week in the prayer room, one of the ladies shared about the uh, eagle that was brought up with a chicken. And the eagle that thought it was a chicken. And it lived most of the early part of its life going around, uh, you know, pecking on the ground, head down pecking and fluttering its wings like this. Uh, until it realised that actually it wasn't meant to be packing, it was meant to be soaring. And I really see the name of this group that we have and these talks, as you know, come out from uh, EGALS, which stands for Emmanuel, Jesus Christ. E for the Eternal One, for Emmanuel, God with us. And, uh, and it's about how we are, we are gals, if you like, the old American slang. We are e-gals, and we are not meant to be here to be pecking, fluttering our wings and going nowhere. We are meant to soar, and you were meant to soar. And so today's talk is called, It's All About Love. And I believe there's something about God's love that stirs our hearts up so that we begin to walk in our true identity, we begin to live in a different way, we begin to see ourselves in a different way, and we begin to see others in a different way. And we're going to go through uh, Hebrews 13. We're going to do, this week we're doing Hebrews 13 up to verse, I think it's verse, about verse uh, 20, is it? I can't see, I've got, I broke my glasses. I had only one pair of glasses and they got really old, and the leg just broke completely off. So we can't even stick them up, because there's nothing to stick on to now. So I was going around with like Jack Duckworth there for about a week with them all stuck up, but now even Jane can't stick them up anymore. So I found an old set of contact lenses, and they're old, they're ancient, and I can hardly see through them. So you're all a nice blur this morning. No, you're not really. And I can sort of see what I'm reading, so um, just bear with me if there's a wee bit of hesitancy here. But I think that I am around about, uh, yeah, we're doing this week up to uh, verse, whatever that is. What is it? <laughs> I can see this prints a bit better. I can see today is going to be fun. We're starting off, we're starting off the way we need to go on. <laughs> 
right, we're up to, what is it, verse 15. And then next week, we will finish it next week, just a short word. Girls, I actually believe God's given me a lovely word for next week that I'm looking forward to sharing myself. Uh, but this week, it's all about love. And we're going to just take it step by step, verse by verse, as we go through this. Because it starts off and it says, it's just as well as verse by verse, because I can just about see one verse at a time. So uh, Hebrews 13, verse 1, keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. So the first thing that we have to say this week is that uh, love means love loving each other. Now, over the last few weeks, we have looked at Hebrews 11, which is all about faith, and then Hebrews 12, which is all about running the race and running the hope that is set before us, and so Hebrews 12 is all about hope, and Hebrews 13 now is all about love. So if you remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the great chapter on love, it says at the very last verse, it says, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. So these chapters are actually covering faith and hope and love. Isn't isn't the scriptures amazing? And God wants us to know that the greatest of all is love. And, And you see, God's love is so great that it fills our heart. And God wants us to be so full of his love that his love actually flows out to our brothers and sisters in Christ, that we actually love each other and that we demonstrate that love. 1 John 4 and 7 says, Dearly beloved, uh, dearly beloved, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Isn't that amazing? I just love God's love. And you see, his love for us, uh, the only way he can kind of describe it really, I, and I love uh, Ephesians 4, I'm going to look at that just for a moment, because Ephesians 4 tells us that, you know, that, there, that, that God's love is reflected in the marriage relationship that Christ loved the church and gave himself for it and that's the kind of love that we are to have for each other we'll look at that maybe more in a moment or two but the thing is that God wants us to love each other and he wants his love to to really um, flow through us and Ephesians 4 not only says that he he loves us the way he loves the church but it says in the same way that husbands might uh, are ought to love their wives uh, as, the, as they love their own bodies. For a man even uh, who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. And no, no one hates his own body. You'd know I can't have say, wouldn't you? Um, but, uh, but feeds it and cares for it, etc. And we are members of his body. And then it says, as the scripture says, a man leaves his, wife, his father and mother and is joined together um, for two are united uh, into one. This is a great mystery, but uh, this is the um, but but it is an illustration of the way that Christ and the church are one. So again, I say each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So this is the kind of love that we're this love, this agape love, this love of God fills our hearts and flows out to our brothers and sisters. And we're going to see in a moment. It's it's meant to flow into the marriage relationship. It is what marriage is all about. So God wants us to know this love and he wants us to, um, to, to share it with the other people around us. Uh, Psalm 133 says, where we, where we stand in unity, that's where God commands the blessing. And if we would love each other, love is gentle and kind. It's not 
Bible says it's not. It's, I love um, I love the way that First Corinthians thirteen it shows us a little bit about love. Let me just um, see if I can get this round to the light and get a better look. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice. Uh, about injustice, but rejoices whenever truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. That's the way we're meant to love each other. We're meant to forgive each other. We're not meant to hold on to wrongs. We're not meant to fester and hold a grudge. We're not meant to hold grudges. We're meant to forgive because Christ has forgiven us. Forgiven us, And that's why the, the prayer that the Lord taught us to pray, pray was our Father who art in heaven. And then if you remember it says in it, we forgive those who trespass, forgive us our sins for we forgive those who trespass against us. And so if we're going to really enjoy God's love and keep the flow going, we've got to receive his love, but we've got to give it out. If we want his forgiveness, we've got to forgive others. Otherwise, there'll be a blockage. And we, we won't enjoy life the way we're meant to. So we're meant to enjoy love and enjoy his love flowing into us, but flowing out of us as well. And uh, I really love these the scriptures in 1 Corinthians 11, that love is patient. You know, I was lying in bed last night and I, I couldn't sleep for ages and I was meditating on, on these scriptures for this morning. And I really felt in my spirit like God was saying, you know, you're talking about loving other people, but I just felt he was saying, 1 Corinthians 13 is the way I love you. You see, half the time you and I are living under such condemnation that we think God is impatient, that we think God does hold grudges. But what 1 Corinthians 13 says about love is the way that God loves you. God doesn't give up. God is patient. God rejoices over you. He loves you. And he wants you to enjoy that love. And you know why he can do it? You know why that he can forgive us even whenever we do get things wrong, even whenever we have trespassed? Do you know why he can forgive us? Because he sent his son Jesus to die for us. And Jesus has paid the price so that God's love can flow continually to us. That's why John 3 and 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only beloved son. He didn't hold him back. Love gives that whosoever... And we are the whosoever. Whosoever believes in him shall not perish. That means in this life and in the next. But shall have everlasting, eternal life. That is a quality of life that I believe God wants us to experience now. Why is it that so often we get saved and then stuck? We just think, well, I'm saved now and I'm going to heaven. That's all there is to it. No, it's meant to start now. Eternal life starts now. It's a different quality of life. And we only experience it if we receive the forgiveness that God gives to us through his death, through the death of Jesus on the cross. And we receive his forgiveness, receive his love, and let it flow out to those around us. It's not something that's meant to be going in and then stops there. It's meant to be a flow through. You know, when you go to Israel and you see the way that the, the, uh, the Jordan River flows down and it goes into the Galilee, through the Lake of Galilee, and then it goes in one end and out the other and down to the Dead Sea. But when it gets to the Dead Sea, there's no way it can get out. That's why it's dead. The, 
the Sea of Galilee is teeming with life because the rivers, the Jordan River is flowing into it, but it's also flowing out of it. And that's a wonderful picture in, in even, even in the, the land of Israel that we have a visual aid to see that God's love is meant to flow in and then flow out. And then the, the consequences, the deadness that comes if we just keep giving, receiving, receiving, receiving and never giving out. A deadness comes about us. And God does not want it. He wants us to be teeming with life. And so we see that this first verse tells us that, that, that love love flows out to other believers. And then it goes on to say, uh, the next verse says, hold on, I have to get back to my place here. And don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. For some who have done this have entertained angels without really realising it. And of course, this if the first one is about love flowing out to other believers, then this one is about love flowing out to strangers. It's amazing how that, uh, the idea, the words that are used in this apparently uh, about the love flowing out, it's, it's really the idea of not having to be forced. You, you don't force anybody to love. Love flows. And the spring is within you. The Holy Spirit is within you. And God's love's in you whenever you trust him for salvation. So it's to flow out to believers, but it's to flow out to strangers. And I love this because it's actually referring here when it says that, that you know, that, that, that in the past that there were those who entertained stranger, or angels unawares, it's referring back to Father Abraham. Remember that the Hebrews were Jewish believers and, and the writer is reminding them about how one day, way back in the book of Genesis in chapter 18, where Abraham uh, was sitting in the tent one day whenever three strangers arrived and immediately he, he, he got refreshments for them, got food for them and entertained them, showed them hospitality, showed them good old Eastern hospitality and I believe God wants us as his children to be hospitable and to show that same love and hospitality to uh, even to strangers and if you remember you know if Abraham hadn't shown that hospitality if he hadn't opened up the tent and and got Sarah on the job and between the two of them got that animal cooked up that barbecue on the go if he hadn't done that he would have missed out on an encounter because one of those angels, one of those men was actually the angel of the Lord. It was actually Jesus himself in a human body. And if you read through Genesis 18, you'll see that it was in that encounter that actually the Lord spoke to Abraham and even gave him the promise and said to him, Sarah's going to have a child next year. It was that particular encounter. And then he went on, remember he said, you know, the Lord said, you know, shall I hide from Abraham, the things that I'm about to do, and he began to share then about Lot and about what was going to happen in Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham was able to get into prayer with the Lord, and, and remember he bargained with the Lord about uh, sparing Sodom and Gomorrah. Listen, he wouldn't have had that amazing, incredible spiritual encounter if he hadn't opened up the doors for hospitality, if he hadn't shown love and said, come on in. And there's something about about uh, doing this that really blesses us. And isn't it amazing? Uh, the idea, I think, is that, that he, he welcomed these three people as if they were three angels. And I think that's what God wants us to do. And to see, do you remember Jesus said, and as much as you do it unto the least of these, you do it unto, my, unto me. And that's the heart that God wants us to have. And that runs, of course, then into the next one, which says, uh, 
for some of entertains angels without realizing it. And the next verse says, remember those in prison as if you were there yourself. Remember those who, um, remember also those who are being mistreated as if you felt their pain in your own bodies. You see, Jesus said, in as much as you do it unto the least of these, you do it unto me. And so I believe that, that there's a special place in God's heart for people who are in prison. There's a special place in God's heart for people who are being mistreated and abused and whatever. And you know, I think it was last week, uh, last Tuesday or the Tuesday before, we had a group here on the Tuesday night, just a group of women who had gone out to different parts of the world, who had gone out to Somaliland and out to Uganda and to India, and they shared of some of the atrocities that are happening to women. Honestly, girls, I wouldn't start to tell you the things that are happening, not only in trafficking, but just the uses, uses and abuses, abuse of, of women that is going on. And it's not only in those foreign countries, but it's even, even happening in our own country. And you know, it's so easy, and I find myself not wanting to think about that and what, preferring to just turn away and pretend I hadn't heard about it. But I believe God actually does want us to stir us up that we can pray, at least pray. And if there's any, even to ask the Holy Spirit, is there any way that I could be a help? Is there any way I could do something that would be a blessing? Uh, you see, the Bible says in James 4 that whenever we know to do good and don't do it, that's actually a sin. And so sometimes we know about stuff, but we'd rather turn a blind eye. You know, whenever they were taking the, the Nazi, the, the Nazis were taking the Jewish people up to the concentration camps, it's told that, in, that there was a bunch of believers, true, this is a true bill, a bunch of believers in a church in Germany. And when they heard the trains going past, packed with these Israel, these Jews who were screaming and crying, that they turned the volume up and they sang all the louder that they wouldn't hear the screams. You know, it's a shame, there's a shame in all of us, and myself included, that we prefer not to hear these things sometimes because it makes us accountable. And, and the Bible says that if we know to do good and we don't do it, that is sin. I read this somewhere this week. You may never know what results come from your actions, but if you do nothing, there'll be no results. So, you know, it mightn't be very much, but if we do something, something's better than nothing. And, you know, there's something about doing it together. There's something about doing it in unity and in love. And it's, it's like what we often say in this church, all of us together are better, better than, than one of us. One of, you know, all of us are better than one of us. All of us are better than two of us. We can do so much if we get together. And so this is about uh, love um, flowing out to strangers and love that cares about suffering. God wants us to be people who will demonstrate his love, who will care for people in need, people that we will do it as if we were doing it unto Christ. I often talk about a year that I spent away back in my, when I was 21, I spent a year working with disabled people and I, I often speak about that being my first encounter of really experiencing God's love rising up. I can remember going around, uh, you know, very late at night to go around some of the really severely disabled people just to do a last minute check and maybe getting them up to take them to the loo or whatever. And I can re still remember the feeling of doing it onto Jesus. I can still remember the satisfaction of that brought. And you know, I still want everything that I do to be onto him. And if we would start to, to see Christ in each other and care and show his love to each other in that way and to strangers, if we would start to see 
Christ and even our enemies. You know, on Sunday here we were really, really, really challenged about how God loves everybody on this earth. He loves, he loves the Muslim people in this world as much as he loves us. And if we were only to begin to see them, that they were actually, Christ loves them and died for them. And if we could only look at them and see them, what we, you know, that we would have that love to pray for them. And I think your own heart was challenged. Because we're living in a world where there's so much stuff going on and we're hearing so much negative stuff about strangers and about, about people uh, who are suffering that we just turn away from it. And so often we put blame and we are very unchristlike and we do not show God's love in the way that he wants us to. And then of course it goes on to speak about love that is, that is for, the, for marriage relationships and it says give honour to marriage and remain faithful to one another in marriage. God, sorry I keep banging this thing here, God will uh, surely judge people who are immoral and those who commit adultery. I, I just again was challenged by the fact that that marriage is a picture of the love that God has for us, the love that God has for the church, and how we uh, are, God really wants us, uh, wants, wants married couples to really love each other. I just wrote down in your notes, the outworking of godly love and marriage means honour and faithfulness to each other. There's something beautiful whenever a married couple honour each other, isn't there? There's something so beautiful about that. And I believe it shouldn't just be for in marriage, but we should continue to be honouring each other and being showing God's love to each other. And uh, Proverbs 6 really gives us a very severe warning about, about uh, infidelity in marriage. It says in, 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 in Proverbs 6.32 that actually unfaithfulness, infidelity, adultery, whatever word you want to put on it, that it actually destroys us. The reason that God hates unfaithfulness is he knows it destroys our own soul. It kicks back to us because we were made for love. Do you know that God created you to love? That's why we chose that song at the beginning. I was made for loving him and so were you. We were made to love each other. We were made and created in the likeness of God and the Bible says that God is love. So you were made for love. And if you're, not, if you're not actually flowing in love, if you're not receiving it, and if you're not giving it back out there, then you're missing out on the highest quality and the greatest satisfaction that life has to offer because you were made for love. Remember the Beatles? They had it right, you know. Love, love, love. All you need is love, but it's God's love. That's where they got it wrong. And so... God really wants us, and, and, and 1 Corinthians 6 and 18 talks about how, you know, that sexual sin actually hurts our own body. It's the only sin that actually destroys something in us, in our body. And we need to be really aware that God can heal us and forgive us from sexual sin, and he doesn't want us to go around, you know, hiding stuff and covering it up. And, and actually, whenever, I'm always at this, I know I am, but you see, especially with sexual sin, it's so easy to cover it up because of the shame and the regret and the remorse that so often associates with it. But God wants us free of that. And Jesus died to, to cleanse us and wash us and set us free from the stain of sexual sin as well as any other sin. And he does not want Satan to have legal ground in your life to torment you and to bring that destruction to your own soul, to your own body. 
He doesn't want that to happen. That's why Jesus died, because he loves you so much. And then it goes on to say about love. And I am going to read this if I can get focused in here. I'm just zooming in here in these lenses here now. It says, don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. For God has said, I will never leave you. I, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. So I will have no fear. What can people do to me? Now, I put a heading over this, love satisfies, I put in brackets, brings contentment to the human heart. Why? Because God is love. And I believe that God wants us to experience this love, knowing that he will never leave us, he will never abandon us, that we can actually say, because, because he is love, and because you and I belong to him, that we can say with confidence that the Lord will not leave us nor forsake us, and that, he, that we can actually speak out and say, the Lord is my helper. Now that is pretty amazing. That is pretty amazing that we can say that. 1 John 4 says, anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love, and God's love satisfies the human the human being god's love will satisfy you in a way that nothing else can or no one else can i just would somehow love to get it across to you that that because he loves you that he has actually promised that he's never going to leave you and i love in the original and i meant to look it up before it came out how many times it says it. i think it's about three in the original Hebrew, it says, I will never, no, never, no, never, no, never leave you. That's a pretty strong promise. And you see, so often the enemy tries to torment us by making us believe his lies that somehow God's displeased with us, that he hasn't had patience with us, that he doesn't love us the way 1 Corinthians 13 talks about. Somehow or other, we, because we begin to doubt that, because the enemy tells us lies about our performance or lack of it, and because of that, we begin to feel that maybe God has somehow abandoned us. And yet this promise is here that because of the way he loves you, he'll never abandon you. And in fact, he wants you to, have, to be so gutsy to speak up and to say, I, I, just actually speak it out there and say, you know, I will not be afraid because the Lord is my helper. And who could I fear? Because the Lord's with me every day and he's with you. And so there's something about this contentment. You know, I, somehow or other, I've really been challenged with this past few days. The fact that real contentment, that real joy and satisfaction. You know the times where you just feel lifted and you feel like everything's right in the world. You know, I've really been challenged about that. That's the way God wants. God actually wants us to feel his love. And, and I, read, I read this the other day, I, I came across this the other day, and it's too long to read, but it was something that was written about from the Na Navigation Press. And, and they're talking about how the Bible says that in God's presence is fullness of joy, and at his right hand there are pleasures forevermore. And I've been really taken up recently about the, the, the deep, deep truth that there is actually pleasure in God's company. You see, whenever... Whenever you experience love, there is always pleasure. 
And, and we have, the enemy has stolen that word pleasure and we associate pleasure with something that's purely earthly and something that's uh, very, um, uh, maybe even sexual. We, we tend to put it into that category. But actually this word belongs in the Bible. And it says at his, at, that in his presence there's fullness of joy and in, at his right hand there are pleasures forevermore. I believe that God wants us to experience the pleasure of his love as we, as we go through life. And uh, here's what it says. That, that phrase in the Bible, pleasures evermore, challenges us to re-examine our view of personal happiness and desire. Too many Christians are like Odysseus of Greek mythology, utterly seduced by the songs of the sirens, the tempters, but shackled to the mast of his ship to prevent him from responding to their cunning overtures. It goes on to say that abstinence and, and restraint are only effective against sin when the soul embraces a pleasure superior to the one that's denied. Do you get that? That if we're just trying to keep the rules without feeling the love, then we'll give in. Because we need to be so captivated by his love that actually his love and the pleasure of his, of his presence is greater than the stuff that's enticing us. Would you agree with me? It also says, are you enchanted, enamoured and engrossed with God, enthralled, enraptured and entranced, astonished, amazed and awed by God? Are you startled and staggered, smitten and stunned, stupefied, charmed and consumed by God? That's pretty strong language, isn't it? But I believe that knowing that you're forgiven and knowing that he loves you and opening up your spirit to be real with him and to allow him to really get in there with his light and his goodness to totally forgive all the dark stuff that's in there to get that stuff out so that there's room for his love to fill you that when you allow him to do a clear out that the love that he wants to pour into you is so great that it will totally captivate your heart and bring about a new sense of being loved that no human relationship could ever give you. Would you agree with me? God's love is so great and so vast. And listen, girls, we are just touching the tip of it, the tip of the iceberg. There is so much more for us to experience. And we, but we need to get rid of the garbage and open up and allow him to pour that love in. And when he does, everything will be transformed. We'll begin to see, you know, there used to be a song, a hymn, we used to sing that, you know, that, that, that when we love God and we know that he loves us, that actually even, even, the, even the green grass becomes greener. Even the blue sky becomes bluer. We begin to see things more, be more beautiful. And this, the old hymn goes that we see things in a way that Christless eyes have never seen. God wants to give you colour. You know when you know you're loved and you love back, there is something that lifts your spirit. Surely to goodness some of you've got a wee skip and you remember something the way back there. <laughs> when you really loved somebody and you knew they loved you. Isn't it amazing? And yet, it's not a distant memory. It's meant to be growing and growing and growing. And, and so often the whole world has put all the focus of joy on a human relationship of between a, a man and a woman or between, it's not even like that now, you know what I mean, but they're putting put everything to, it's all around a sexual relationship. A sexual relationship is only a shadow of the real thing. 
The real deal, which is the heavenly relationship with the King of Kings, who loved you so much that he died on a cross to die for you. I tell you, everything else shrinks whenever you compare it to that love. And so God wants us. He wants us, this goes on to say, he wants us to revel in the pleasures of God, to celebrate his awesome power and mercy, to sing and shout about his soon coming. And when we indulge in this, the pleasures of God far outstrip the fleeting pleasures of this life. Each morning, joy should be smeared all over our faces as we come forth from God's presence. Then, as with the disciples of old, people will know that we have been with Jesus. There's something about spending time with him, but knowing and receiving and enjoying and experiencing that love today on a present day, moment by moment basis that transforms our feelings and our emotions and, and brightens up and lightens up every single day. And so I believe that God wants us, and I've no idea where I've got to now, I'm totally lost. But anyway, oh yes, here we are. Yes, so he satisfies and brings that real contentment that no one else and he's never going to leave us and he's never going to abandon us. And then there's a little bit in verse 7 which it says, uh, I put the heading, love submits to godly authority. And there's a little bit here about how we should love those who minister to us, our leaders, how God, uh, how God uh, puts people in places of authority and how we should honour them. And I'm not going to spend too much time on that, but I will just read it. Uh, so it's, it's Hebrews 13 verse 7. I should have looked for a big print Bible girls before it came out, so sorry about this. Remember your leaders who taught you the word of God. Think of all the good that has come from their lives and follow the example of their faith. That's pretty straightforward. And I think there's something about that. You see, honouring each other and honouring our leaders is what God wants us to do. And, uh, and it, it brings great joy to his heart. And then we're going to look down at uh, the next one which is a uh, verses 8 and 9 of chapter 13 let me read it to you because this now is going to show us the source of this love here's the source of love jesus christ is the same yesterday today and forever so do not be so do not be attracted to strange new ideas your strength comes from god's grace not from rules about food which don't help those who follow them. Just at two little verses, the source of love is Jesus Christ, and he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You see, there's something about knowing that Jesus will not leave us, that just, um, that just continues to give us that, that sense of acceptance and joy. It's the source of love, it's the seat of love, it's where, it's where God wants us to live. And uh, the, the New Living Translation says, do not be attracted by strange new ideas because your strength comes from God. We've got to remember that these Jewish believers, he, the book of Hebrews was written to Hebrews. Hebrews are Jew, were, were the Jewish believers. And the thing was that the, their religious traditional leaders these were people who, who were still in the old Jewish religion, they were telling these new believers, look, you know, it's not enough. They were trying to tell them that you need to keep the rules. You need to do something more than just believe in Jesus for salvation, uh, and, and that's enough. You need to keep on with all of these Old Testament 
sacrifices and all of these rules and regulations. And they had made up so many rules and regulations, it was unbelievable. But the Bible's saying here that they weren't to be attracted by these strange new ideas. Their strength was from God's grace. And then it goes on to say, I wanted to read these verses and I'm getting into I'm beginning to roll it together and come to perhaps the most important part of what I feel God wants to say to us this week. Let me just read this, these next few verses. We have an altar from which the priests in the tabernacle have no right to eat. Under the old system, the high priest brought the blood of animals into the holy place as a sacrifice for sin, and the bodies of the animals were burned outside the camp. So also Jesus suffered and died outside the city gates to make the people holy by means of his own blood. So let us go out to him outside the camp and bear the disgrace that he bore. For this world is not our permanent home. We are looking forward to a home to come. Therefore let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming our allegiance to his name, and don't forget to do good and to share with those in need. These are the sacrifices that please God. We're just going to leave it there and we'll finish it off the rest next week. But here's the thing that I wanted to say to you was that love makes provision. Because God loved you so much, Jesus went to the cross. Now here's the thing, these Jewish believers, and we're really trying to understand what this letter was written about and why it was written and what was happening at this particular time in history. Well, the, the Jewish believers, they had received Jesus into their heart. They believed that they were saved, but they were being told by the traditional religious Jews that they needed an altar, that they needed a physical altar. See, in the temple there was an altar uh, there, there was a couple of altars, there was one for the, the brazen altar where they brought the sacrifice for sin, and there was another altar, altar for incense and for worship. And, and these, these legalists, these religious people were saying to the new believers in Christ, they were saying, look, how can you, how can you know that you're right with God if you haven't even got an altar? You need to come into the temple again and come and go through, bring these animal sacrifices. You need, you need to go get a, a physical altar. And, and the writer of the Hebrews is saying, but you have an altar. The real deal. It's not, it's not the Old Testament altar, which is only a picture of what Christ was going to do. The writer of the Hebrews is saying, but you have an altar. So Jesus went outside of the whole religious system. He went outside the city. He went outside and he, he died on a cross there. That was the altar where, where God, where sin was paid for, and a holy God received the altar of sacrifice that Jesus gave of his own body. Sure, your altar is not back in religion. Your altar is outside of religion, it's outside the city. You know, there's something about us and our human hearts that draws us to ritual rather than, than faith. And, and simple belief and understanding that God, God has done it. I remember, and I was trying to work it out last night, I was laying in bed last night and I couldn't get to sleep, and I was meditating on this, and I was thinking, whenever, I was thinking 1973 was my first time in Israel, and I was trying to work out what age it was, I'm not going to tell you, but <laughs> um, doing my calculations in bed last night, and I was thinking, I was in my 20s, and I remember, I remember being so excited to go to Israel for the first time. And I, I can remember we were walking, we, and I remember the hotel we stayed in. It was called the Holy Land Hotel. It wasn't a great place. 
anybody that's coming to us is going to a better place. But it wasn't a great place, but it was, it was very near the garden tomb and, uh, and, and Gordon's Calvary. It's called Gordon's Calvary because a General Gordon back in the 20th century uh, discovered it and excavations showed this face of a skull and when they did more excavations they found at the back of it that there was also a, a tomb, an empty tomb and also a, a, a wine press and other things that would have proved it was a garden. Remember the scriptures say that it was at the place of the skull and it says that there was a garden there and they brought him to that to that um, to the tomb. I actually I know a lot of people don't consider that to be the true place. I actually in my heart I do believe that's the real place. I really do. I believe that God covered it up with rubble because of all the, the wars over Jerusalem over the centuries. And I believe it's been brought out for these last days. That's my own personal belief. But anyway, I remember as a young girl going to Jerusalem and I remember uh, my first view of the place of a skull. And I, I can see myself. And I remember looking, and even today there's a bus it's a place where the buses go. It's a bus terminal at the bottom of the of this place. Uh, when you're round in the garden, it's been taken over by Christians, and it's beautiful. But actually, to look at the skull, there's still a, a bus station there. I think that says a whole lot because when Jesus was dying on the cross, they were doing their business back and forwards. Nothing has really changed. They weren't concerned. They walked past him as they did their business and, and spat at him. So I remember my going around the corner and somebody saying there is Golgotha. And I remember stopping on my tracks. And to this day, I can hardly talk about this because I remember looking at that place and the thought that Jesus died for me over there. It was overwhelming. And, and I remember thinking, as an eight-year-old child, that I asked Jesus to forgive me because of what he did in that place. And I remember the tears just ran down my face. I was so overwhelmed that that was the place. But you know what? Over the years I realised that that's, it was a wonderful thing and I, I cherish that memory. But you know, we can so easily make enshrine a place. It's not about the place. It's about the person. It's about him. It's about how he loved me and he loved you. And he went he went the whole way outside the city walls, carrying his cross, and he went outside knowing he was going to be crucified. He knew the pain and the suffering that, that would mean. He knew that his father, you talk about splitting the apple, it's not splitting the apple, splitting the atom. You talk about the explosion that happened, the nuclear explosion that happened when they split the atom. Well, I can tell you, the Godhead was split because Jesus took your sin and became sin for you. And he did it because of love. L-O-V-E. Jesus loves you and he loves me. And I remember that moment as if it was yesterday. And I was thinking about it in bed last night and the emotions that had stirred up in me. But you know what? There's been other times in my life when I haven't been anywhere near the place and I've had those same emotions when I think of the love that he has for me and the love that he has for you. Do you know he's, he's constantly planning for you in love? 
He's working things out in, for you in love. He knows what we were talking this morning in the prayer room, how something even 30 years ago that God was planning for such a time as this, something that happened to Marion, where uh, just a contact way back 30 years made a difference just this week. God's always working ahead of time. Why do we doubt him? Why do we, why do we believe those lies of the enemy that God is not love? Why do we believe those lies of the enemy that he is not faithful? Why do we believe those lies that he is not patient? Listen, he's an all-loving, all-powerful, all-holy God, but he loves you and he's chosen to, lay, to, he's chosen to put his love upon you. And he's not about to change. He loves you and it breaks his heart when you don't love him back. And the call today is, are you, going to, are you going to clear out the rubbish and just say, come and fill my heart? It's by faith. It's faith and hope and love. But the greatest of these is love. But we have to have the faith. If we don't, we can't receive anything by God unless we come to him in faith. And God wants us to know that. Now, I am, I am getting, I don't want to go flying on here. There's a few things that I really wanted to say that were really important. One of these things I wanted to say was, um, and I, I don't care what way I'm going now, but we're going to get a couple of these things out. Um, we can show that love to each other. We can receive it and show it to each other when we serve each other because Jesus Christ's love is flowing through us. And here's one of the things I really wanted to say, and I want to read this to you from John 13. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God so he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wipe the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that he had around him. Now here's the point I want to get across from this. When he knew, he knew that the Father had given him authority and that everything that he had had come from God and he would return to God, then he began to wipe the disciples' feet. And this morning, I read this just around about 8 o'clock this morning. And I felt that the Lord said, when you know who you are, when you know that you belong to God, when you know where you're going, when you know that you have eternity to spend with Christ, when you know that he has given you authority, when you know who you are in Christ, you take that towel and you begin to wash other people's feet. That's an amazing thing, that we can serve each other and have the privilege to be like Christ. But we need to know who we are. You know why a lot of us are not happy and, and, and not rejoicing? Because we're believing the lies that we're chickens or, 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 or sheep instead of believing who we are, who, what our true identity is in Christ. When we know who we are and where we're going, we will be empowered to, to serve others. and to, to You know, the more you serve others, the more room there is for more of his love. So if you don't give it out, then there's no room to take it in again. It has to go, get it out there, and then you'll receive more coming back in again. That's the way it works. The other point is, this last verse, and my time's nearly out, so I am really going to be, not, not going to go over time here. The last one was about offering a sacrifice of praise to God, and I just wanted to say this point. And again, God gave me this one last night in bed. And I was thinking about how Jesus, you know, gave thanks and praise to his Father continually. And I was reminded, do you remember whenever Lazarus died and Jesus went to the tomb? Do you remember he went to Mary and Martha with her? And I was reminded in bed last night that before he called Lazarus forth, what did he say? He started to thank his Father. 
He said, I thank you, Father, that you always hear me. And he began to thank him and praise him before he called Lazarus out of the tomb. And here's what I felt God wanted to say to you today. That for some of you, there are things that seem dead to you. There are some, for some of you, it seems like there's a bit of deadness about you. And it's like you're not enjoying God maybe the way you once did. or the way, Perhaps you've never enjoyed him the way that I'm talking about this morning. And I want to enjoy him more. And I am not saying that I've got it all right because I haven't. Because I am human and I can do all the rest of it. But you know what? I am hungry for more. And I know you are or you wouldn't be here. Do you know when we start to praise God, even when, especially, not even, especially when things are not going well. When we start to praise God, whenever things are not going well, something happens that breaks off the power of the enemy. And when Jesus began to speak and thank his heavenly Father, then he called forth Lazarus from the dead. And what happened? Out he came, shuffling out with the bandages all around him, needed to get them off and set him loose. What happens whenever we begin to praise God in difficult circumstances? Well, I'll tell you, dead things, things that you thought there was no hope for, you begin to jump up and you begin to find yourself taking off the bandages and realising, you know what, God, things aren't all over yet. There's hope yet. Thank you, God. Thank you for answering prayer because the sacrifice of praise breaks off the, the, the strategies of the enemy and, and brings to life what God has planned for you. And if you and I could get into that sacrifice of praise constantly, and I, I try to teach myself it all the time, and sometimes I'll go through maybe a whole day and I realise at the end of it, flip me, I've been muttering about here all day and getting down about this and letting it annoy me. And, and then I'll start to catch myself on and I'll say, Lord, I'm thanking you for this thing right now. I'm choosing to thank you for it because I'm believing you're going to do something great out of it. And I thank you and praise you this has happened. Don't like it, Lord, but I thank you for it. You know what happens? Something breaks. The enemy is defeated. And God sets free the things. He sets you free. And he begins to move in circumstances. And he even brings life out of dead situations. Anybody got a dead situation today? Anybody got a situation that looks like there's no hope? We have the God of all hope. We have a God of love. God is love. Let his love flow into you. Open up. Cast away that doubt. All that worry. All that rubbish. Throw it to the one side and put your two hands up and say, Lord, I ask you, would you wash me out and then fill me up? And fill me up with your love. And help me and show me how to let that love flow right out to my friends, to my enemies, to strangers, and back up to you, God. Help me to live like that. That's the life that's worth living. That's the life that God calls us to. That's the life that is so full, brimming with the joy and pleasure of his presence that we begin to realise, God, sometimes you can hardly sit still. You've got to give a bit of a jump about you. God wants us to be so full of his love and free to do the things he has called us to do. Lord, I thank you that you're able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above and beyond all that we would even imagine or ask or think. Thank you, Lord, that you have things in store for us in this life and in the one to come that we have never yet even imagined. And Lord, we know the enemy wants to stop us from entering into those good things. He doesn't want us to enjoy your love. He doesn't want us to be caught up with the past. He doesn't want us 
to enjoy the freedom of your love. Lord, we just, in the name of Jesus, we just declare, Lord, today that we want to renounce the lies of the enemy and receive the truth that you are a God who loves us passionately and you've proved your love. Lord, as we sing this song together, may we really enter into an appreciation of how you showed that love when you went to Calvary. Thank you, Lord, that you're a God of all grace, a God who is love, a God who loves us and has given your life for us. In Jesus' name, amen.